In the first weekend after the NFL season ended, Fox stacked it Saturday with a busy college basketball schedule. They lit things off with Wisconsin at Michigan. They fought it with a Big East battle of Villanova Marquette and then the Capitol off. And then in the late slot was Utah, UCLA, a Pac-12 matchup for the ages. It actually turned into a pretty good game, Brendan. The 22-point lead, UCLA blew in the second half. And then Utah was fouled down three. UCLA fouled them up three and lost the game in regulation due to some missed free throws. So it's what you would call an insta-loss. I know you're a huge fan of those. Yeah, because people like to assume that uh, fouling up three is like an, an automatic guarantee that you're not going to lose in regulation, or you're not going to you're going to eliminate the chance of them tying you. Um, just execute it properly, and you'll be fine. And this, you know, college kids don't always execute everything properly, and things happen. Even when you execute it properly, you get more possessions, and they can win regulation, or you foul at the wrong time and the wrong guy. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you, when you start a triple header, you want to start with a rematch of the, one of the last undefeateds losing, you know, that's Michigan-Wisconsin, and then a matchup of the two best teams in one of your major conferences, and that's Marquette-Villanova. And then you want to hit them with UCLA-Utah, which is, you know, when I think of Utah in this Pac-12 history, uh, my friend always talks about how he grew up a big fan of the Mountain West. I, don't, I think he's from, he's from Nevada and stuff, but... You know, talking about how Keith Van Horn is like a Pac-12 legend. He's like in the Pac-12 Hall of Fame or something <laughs> like that, which is just a weird thing to think about. Um, so Utah, you see like classic, classic Pac-12 matchup. We were we had it on the bar. Tom and I went right at a bar after the uh, we went to a game yesterday and uh, um, recording again on Sunday night, right after the Cincinnati-Houston game, which was a pretty good capper to the weekend. But um, it was on on the TV that we weren't really looking at, and it was a blowout early, and we ended up leaving the bar before it ended. Um, and then we, we, little did we know that it would be one of the great comebacks, a team that I think technically never lead, led the game, right? We, well, they led the game after guy. they won. This is so, a classic battle, actually. We've had this argument many times. This argument many times. If you never lead in the you game... You and I, the, or just in general? No, just in general, me and some other uh, people, uh, let's just say. If you if you you hold the lead when you win at the end of the game, you don't play with the lead, but there had a... This is a huge semantic debate, but they obviously led because they won the game. So, yeah. And by the way, fun fact, Utah ranked two spots below Utah Valley in Ken Palm. And, and Utah Valley coached by uh, Thunder Dan Marley. So it all comes back to uh, Tom, who is a, a huge, huge Phoenix Suns fan. Yeah, exactly. But enough about uh, the Phoenix Suns. Let's move on to the show. Double bonus the rest of the way. Double bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Welcome to episode 16 of the Double Bonus Podcast with Brennan Hersher. Uh, my co-host is Tom Borstein. We are now deep into February, and we had a, a weekend of really top matchups that we're going to discuss, along with uh, looking back at some of our uh, early season conference predictions to see uh, how they're looking. Um, then we'll look ahead to some of the games coming up, including uh, a big Monday matchup uh, between Virginia and North Carolina. Uh, but before you do any of that, you should stop what you're doing and go and subscribe on iTunes or Apple Music, Google Play Music, or Spotify. Maybe po- Podbean if you're a Podbean person. I don't want to say guys. You could be a Podbean person. Um and then you can also email us at doublebonus at gmail.com, doublebonuspod at gmail.com, doublebonuspod at gmail.com, or go and find us on our website at doublebonuspod.com. You can also see it, find us on Twitter, doublebonuspod. Um, yeah, so now we have all the formalities out of the way, Tom. Uh, what's on your mind right now? 
Well, I want to talk about the Big doing? 12. I'm good. How are you, Brendan? It was good spending a nice Saturday with, of college basketball with you yesterday. Big Providence win yeah. at the Garden. Then we went out, watched some more hoops. And then, uh, yeah, it was, a good, uh, it was a good full day of basketball on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed actually watching some basketball with you, uh, not just talking about it. Uh, we, we, got, we were there for a good ending of the Mark Nova game that we'll talk about, I'm sure. We saw the start of the Virginia-Duke game, which uh, we saw even early on. Duke's shooting would be a story and ended up being the story. Um, and then, of course, we did see a bit of that Utah-UCLA game that we discussed. Um, yeah. What, yeah. What do you... What do you well, how was your uh, how was your Sunday? Was it relaxing? It was nice and relaxing. I just watched the favorite. The favorite? Yeah, the movie. Would you say it was it was not your favorite? Uh, actually, it was a strange movie. Not as strange as his other movies, but it was uh, it was good. Who's uh, he? I don't think it would be my favorite movie of the year, but or my favorite of this director's actually. I can't say his name. I'm gonna try something long in Greek. Uh, but it was an mm-hmm. intriguing movie with some good performances. So. So, um, Tom. And I agree with him on this, even though I like to kind of give him some jabs about it. Tom's a big fan of uh, grammar, semantics, and and favorite is one of the words that often comes up in one of his uh, least favorite semantical (laughs) grammar things. Uh, He doesn't like people using the term least favorite unless it actually describes one of your favorites. If you're actually describing one of your most disliked things, you shouldn't use the term least favorite, which implies it is also among the set of things that are your favorite. Right. Yeah, you you couldn't have said it better myself. Don't okay, use the you phrase least favorite. To add there. I have nothing to add. Don't use the phrase use least the favorite. favorite. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Right. Well, oh, among my uh, most favorite things to do is to discuss uh, my three favorite college basketball topics of the weekend with you. Um, yeah. This is our segment called Six is Good. Let's start with you, Tom. What was your uh, your number one uh, item that you want to discuss in Six is Good? I want to talk about Kansas State possibly taking over the Big 12 race. With two big wins this week at home to Kansas, 74-67. And then on the road to the streaking Baylor Bears, they won 70-63. They now have a two-game lead in the conference. Their schedule is uh, manageable. They're supposed to go 12-6 and now in Ken Palm, which may get it done. Um, and I just It's funny because this, this is a team that uh, a lot, is recently is last year before they rented the Elite Eight. Everyone wanted Bruce Weber fired in the Kansas State community, basically. It was a pretty universal sentiment. And then they went to the Elite Eight. I, in fact, poo-pooed them. We're going to get to this later. I, in fact, poo-pooed their run to the Elite Eight because it didn't exactly have a uh, strong bracket. They benefited from the Virginia loss in the second round. Uh, But now they have a two-game lead in the uh, Big 12. They're two games up on Texas Tech. Actually, a game and a half up on Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Kansas. Um, They've already beaten Kansas. Uh, they are their defense is tremendous. Their offense is not so hot. Their defense is sixth in the country. Their offense one of 5.7. The question is, do we think Kansas, who many Kansas fans would say is their least favorite team in the Big 12, do we think they can hold on and win this Big 12, or is this, are we destined for like a four-way tie atop the conference? Um, I think we'll probably end up in a tie. Uh, a team that struggles to score as much as Kansas State uh, doesn't seem to be a likely candidate to run away from. Uh, and win outright uh, against teams as good as Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Kansas. And I guess you can throw Baylor in there, although Kansas State went to Baylor and handled them, I wouldn't say with ease, but they won by seven on the road. Kansas is now Kansas State has now won eight consecutive conference games after starting 0-2. They, uh, the, the Wildcats did lose um, a couple weeks ago in the Big 12 SC Challenge, strangely, to Texas A&M. Uh, but K-State's offense is up to sixth in the league in conference play, which is okay, and their defense is second. Um, 
you know, Bruce Weber is not been a. So I have a, I have several close friends who are Kansas State alums, and uh, some who are really big Kansas State sports fans, including my friend Adam, who had a, a birthday uh, over the weekend. Happy birthday, Adam! Happy birthday, Adam! Yeah. Um, and you know, I messaged him and I said, "Congrat! You know, happy birthday! Congratulations in your first place, Wildcats!" And uh, and he just sent back a message of Bruce, like with a lot of views, kind of in jest. Uh, he always it was me at dinner because last year. Um, I think K-State to finish ninth or 10th in the Big 12, and I guaranteed him they'd finish ahead of ninth. and if not, he had to cook me dinner and vice versa. And, wow. And, of course, they finished well well above ninth. Wait, so if he wins the bet, um, you cook him – if he had won the bet, you would have cooked him dinner? Yeah. Is that yeah. is that something that is a prize, like you cooking dinner? Are you a good cook, Brendan? I think it's more the embarrassment and the uh, the – the amount of kind of effort that has to go into someone yeah. cooking dinner, especially me, who doesn't <laughs> cook dinner very often. I think that that's probably what that was all about. But um, I think it has to do with, you know, K-State sees themselves as a, a school that should be competitive with all with all the best schools in the Big 12 and nationally. And the, and the, the biggest issue is they feel like they have had a lot of good coaches, either as assistants or head coaches, and then let them go. Um, you know, they had Dane Altman as their head coach. Uh, they had Lon Kruger. He was he played at K-State. Um, they had Bob Huggins briefly, but then he went to his alma mater at West Virginia. Um, they had Frank Martin, of course, for a long period of time. Um, and then even more recently, they had Brad Underwood as an assistant. Um, and, of course, you know, Brad Underwood's had an ups and downs. He's, he's got things going a little bit better now in Illinois. But when he was at Oklahoma State was around the same time that K-State wanted to – well, K-State fans wanted to hire Brad Underwood at K-State. And they were like, oh, we've stuck with Bruce Weber and his mediocrity and his hoarse voice. And, um, and you know, we're kind of stuck in, in Big 12 mediocrity forever. But last year they went to Elite Eight. Even though they were fairly mediocre, they were, uh, I believe, an eight seed. Um, and then this year – they had most of their team back, and despite the fact that Dean Wade has missed several games, uh, he's back now and playing well. And him and Barry Brown are one of the best one-two punches in the country. I mean, certainly in the Big 12. Um, and they're looking like a team that could win the Big 12. And, and, and I mean, how sweet would it be for, uh, you know, knowing that Kansas will have to vacate most of their 15 consecutive uh, Big 12 championships probably. There's only 14 um, right now. Despite that. You've only 14. Yeah. To be the... To be the actual team to knock them off on the actual standings, and it to be Kansas State would be particularly sweet, I think, for a K-State fan. Would that be particularly bitter for you, or do you kind of see not really see Kansas State in that way? I mean, I think that Kansas State. No, I don't live in Kansas, so it's easy for me to say as a Long Island-raised Kansas fan. I don't think that I think the Kansas State-Kansas rivalry is much bigger from a Kansas State perspective. Um, I think they're only gonna have to vacate last year's because of D'Souza um, and any games this year. They should be fine, but they may not win it. So it may end up being 13 straight official Big 12 titles, which of course is, you know, the whole vacation thing is not for me. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that... Tom's a very hard worker. He doesn't yeah, like yeah, vacations. No, vac- <laughs> no vacations. I was waiting for that joke to come. Uh, yeah, so I don't think... I think it would be extra sweet for Kansas State. I think Kansas is not going to really care that much. Uh, this race is not over. We'll talk about Kansas later. They need to get healthy and get uh, players back on the team. Um, but... Look, Kansas State right now, they have Texas and Iowa State coming up this week at Texas, home to Iowa State. Um, then they have West Virginia, Oklahoma State. So they really are looking in a good spot. Then they finish, they have a tough finish to their schedule. They have at Kansas, home to Baylor, at TCU, home to Oklahoma. So the next four games will tell us a lot about Kansas before they swing into March or late February against Kansas. But this and, is a team Texas that... Tech, which is. Um... 
Go ahead. Sorry. That's on you. <laughs> Texas Tech, which is a team that uh, is picked, according to Ken Palm, to finish 12-6 and six also um, in a tie with Kansas State by the end of the season. While K-State has a couple tough games this week, Texas Tech has at Oklahoma State probably the worst team in the conference and then Baylor at home. And, you know, we could be looking up in a week and uh, it might be that Texas Tech is actually winning the conference or maybe a half game back. Yeah, I mean, it's, we should talk the Iowa State loss. Uh, the uh, Iowa State looked like, you know, they were like the, uh, the bell of the ball in the uh, Big 12, and they lost at home to TCU, which we'll get to in a second. Also, TCU ringing, winning. Uh, actually, we'll just talk about it now. A rare win for TCU on a, a ranked team on the road. They won 92-83. They looked uh, very impressive. And there was, what's the stat there? One, they had been one, or they had been one in 84 versus ranked teams on the road. Like, how, how is that possible? How can you not get one yeah. of those wins? They're yeah. <laughs> Their only win against a ranked team on the road had been at Hawaii. Um, this was a stat that I got from uh, uh, someone on Big Ten Network I was watching this morning. It was Jess Settles, I think, who played at Iowa. If you, some of you may recall, he was at Iowa for like the entire 90s because he was injured so much and he got like multiple red shirts. He might have even played, been there for seven seasons. But um, but yeah, they was there. They were. They, I'm sure he like. Delighted a little bit in Iowa State, giving them that loss of being an Iowa alum. But uh, one in '84 until um, TCU went to Hilton, and uh, you have to think maybe ruined their uh, home court uh, rating there because uh, Iowa State was rated as one of the best. Yeah, they're down to seventh in home court rating, one spot Rocking ahead of low. Iowa. That's a that's yeah. a yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that TCU game was impressive too. And this this is a conference where, kind of like early in the season with the uh, like the teams challenged for the number one ranking, we're seeing a lot of different teams roll up, pop up. Kansas State this week. Um, we've seen Texas Tech before. We've seen Iowa State before, and so they lost to CCU. This is a really there are a lot of teams that play really good defense at the top of this conference that can string a couple wins together and look look like very tough teams and look like Big 12 title contenders. So really, this conference is wide open. It's probably the most wide open conference. Uh, in the country right now, of the major conferences. Um, I, I believe that is to be the ca- that is the case, um, and you know, you, it feels like there there could be like a good graphic where you kind of show all you know. You we get to late February and it's a, a big Monday, Kansas versus I don't know um, Iowa State or Kansas State or something, and you kind of have a graphic that shows oh, all these teams like who had a chance to knock off Kansas. We thought it was going to be Texas Tech, and then we thought it was going to be Iowa State, and then we thought it was going to be Kansas State, and then here we are on like February 25th, um, and here in Kansas again has a chance to win this game and really put a lock on another a 15th straight uh, Big 12 title. Yeah, remember, every time I would, um, just one thing, every time I would say to you that Kansas is not going to win the Big 12 this title, you would send me, we won't get fooled again by the who. You haven't sent that to me this yeah. year, though, so we'll see. The line, of course, is not yet. meet the new boss, same as the old boss, but we'll see. Yeah, but it, also the title of the song actually is good for it again. Like everyone, every, every year it's like, oh, Kansas, they're vulnerable, they're vulnerable, and, and now they basically have like, like six players, and then they still went to Oklahoma State and or played at home against Oklahoma State. Bill Sells on the modern. He'll throw them the game in uh, Stillwater, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, What's up for you, The game of the weekend in terms of anticipation um is was duke virginia the rematch um if you had didn't watch or don't haven't seen the score duke won by 10 81 71 in uh an outlier performance let's put it that way uh first an outlier because of how duke shot the ball they were 13 for 21 on three pointers and we're actually 13 for 17 before missing their final four three pointers and this is a team that came into the game in the 300s in three-point shooting even after the game they were at 285 
Um, but in the game, you know, Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett, um, R.J. Barrett was 6 for 10 on threes, Cam Reddish 5 for 8 on threes, and, uh, and so they made a bunch of threes. And they scored 1.29 points per possession, which was the most points allowed by Virginia per possession since uh, December 30th, 2013. That was a 35-point loss to Tennessee. And the 72.2% effective field goal percentage, which, again, basically gives you a point and a half, one and a half makes for every made three-pointer to give it the proper value. That 72.2 percentage is the fourth highest against Virginia in the Ken Palm era and the highest in more than 11 years. So this is an outlier performance by Duke. Credit to them for showing they can make some threes. We'll see if they can build on it. Um, But, you know, despite the fact that uh, Rajon Rondo and LeBron James and John Grisham were in attendance, uh, I'm not sure that we saw definitive evidence that Duke is clearly better than Virginia, um, though they've now beaten them twice. Are you sure that was John Grisham and not Rick Barnes? That that was a joke made by Jay Billis oh, really? uh, when right. he was shown on the sideline, yeah. Yeah, um, just what's funny about this game is before the game in preview, and I said, well, they played a close game last time. Virginia lost by two. Neither team shot the ball well from the outside. And so if you're going to, you know, you expect a team to pick it up from the outside, it's going to be Virginia. And it wasn't. Duke was three for 17 in the first meeting, which is not that crazy given their shooting this season. And Virginia was a uncharacteristic two for 14 in the first meeting. Then you turn around and Duke just blows up from three. So I don't know how much you can take from this. Virginia is also consistently good at defending the three-point line. And they just got burned today. Obviously, it was an outlier and there should have been a correction in the game, but there wasn't. And But obviously, uh, it was the first time I think Duke was an underdog this year, and they really uh, turned that around quickly. This game was, they made their presence known with authority early in this ball game. So credit to them. Virginia, I am still think will be very dangerous and is a legitimate, you know, one of the top teams in the country and legitimate national title contender. I know everyone's going to be off this bandwagon, especially since they lost to Duke twice, including one that's at home, obviously. But I like where Virginia's at. Um, they have a pretty manageable schedule coming up. They have at Louisville. And then home to... Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong schedule. That is uh, Duke's schedule. Virginia. Yeah, they're at North Carolina. At North Carolina. They have a tough game um, Monday and, and then home then... to Notre Dame. So, yeah. That'll be a very good game. Yeah. Uh, they're favorite against North Carolina on the road. Interesting. Um, so that's a, big, that's a big, big Monday game. But tough loss for Virginia just to come out. Just bad luck. They're only two losses this year to Duke. And one of them was when Duke shot the lights out. So... Yeah, Duke is in the midst of what, um, according to the ESPN's uh, ratings, is the toughest five-game stretch in the country this year at Virginia, and then they play at Louisville Tuesday. They host North Carolina State on Saturday. They host North Carolina the following Wednesday, and on February 25th, they play at Syracuse. They also then play at Virginia Tech. So it's really a very tough six-game stretch. Um, they do, they were coming off of a really not very difficult at all five-game stretch. So, um, you know, rather than have, like, kind of, Tough game, easy game in their ACC schedule. They basically, the, the schedule makers basically made it so that they've had a run of somewhat easier games. Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, the St. John's non-conference game in there in Boston College. And now they go on a run of six straight games that where, um, with the exception of the home game against NC State, they're actually, you know, decent shot to lose any of those other games. Um, and then they finish the season with uh, Miami and Wake Forest at home before, of course, the season finale at North Carolina. Um yeah, I, I guess, you know, the, the, a question with Duke all season long has been their outside shooting, and it's nice to see them actually have a really good outside shooting game. You know, whether this is a sign that they're a better shooting team than they've shown this year, which is probably mo- true. I think that that's, that'd be a good thing. But if, if it's just also, it's, I mean, either way, it's an outlier. They're not going to shoot this well 
uh, no team is going to shoot this well consistently unless you're maybe um, Notre Dame, like those old Notre Dame teams or Creighton, a team like that that just is born to shoot threes. Um, but if they can be a at least an average or something better than an average three-point shooting team going forward, then they really wouldn't have any clear weaknesses. Um, and their size did give Virginia problems, even though Virginia's offense was pretty good. I saw there's a few times where Cam Reddish especially was guarding Ty Jerome and giving him some trouble, although Jerome had a much better game he did in the previous game. Um, both teams went small at one point without a true five, so they took Bolden and um, Jack saw off the court, and it was basically Williamson versus Hunter at the five, which is an interesting matchup. Um, but, you know, ultimately... You're gonna you make 13 threes when you're as good of uh, a team as Duke, and you're not gonna lose. And that pretty much is the story, no matter how good the team you're playing is. Yeah. Uh, one question for you: Is the Cape Ken Palm Player of the Year ranking is that accounting stat or is that a rate stat? Because right now Zion's at 2.249. Is that gonna go up as the season goes on, or is that a rating? It's a rating. It's a rating. Yeah. Because okay. he has right now the highest rating of anyone the Player of the Year status since 2015, when Frank Kaminsky was the Player of the Year with a 2.794. So he is having quite the season for himself. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And Duke is good. And his teammate uh, R.J. Barrett is uh, third. Yeah. Is third. You know, people have been kind of hard on R.J. Barrett uh, this season, but uh, you know, he did just score 26 points on just 15 field goal attempts against uh, against Virginia, and is number three in the Ken Palm Player of the Year ranking. So he's done good. very pretty well. Good, in the pretty good disappointing play. season. Yeah. For R.J. Barrett. Yeah. yeah. Second in ACC Player of the Year rankings, by the way, behind Zion himself. So, in Ken Pomley. So, good for him. The next thing I want to talk about, Brennan, is the SEC and Tennessee. I was looking at their schedule, and I was looking, because, you know. SEC. They, SEC. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. It's okay. It just, it, it just it matters. Just out, yeah. I think that that's what. We, yeah. Tennessee has. It just won, matters more, the SEC. It does. Tennessee won, lost the season. It was the Friday after Thanksgiving at Kansas in overtime, 87 81 in Brooklyn. Uh, since then. They have rattled off, it uh, looks like, 18 straight wins. But their SEC schedule is about to get a lot tougher. There are seven A games on their schedule this season. They played one. It was at Virginia on January 12th. They won that game, a little back-and-forth game, 78-67. Um, and now it's finally about to get interesting. They haven't played at, else. At Florida. At Florida. At Florida, sorry, yes. They're about to play uh, home to South Carolina. That will be should be an easy win. But South Carolina has played very well in conference. Then they're at Kentucky. And then they finish the season with five straight A games at LSU, at Mississippi, home to Kentucky, at Miss- home to Mississippi State, and at Auburn. So they've had a really unbalanced schedule as far as the hard games and the easy games. It's pretty remarkable that the three best teams right now in the SEC standings have yet to play each other. And we're on February 10th, LSU, Kentucky, and Tennessee. None of them has played each other, and they all have two combined losses. That has something to do with it. So Tennessee, really, they're going to be tested here. They are the highest-ranked team in Ken Palm still. Kentucky's been... Uh, much better of late. Tennessee, give them credit for because you've seen we've seen all these teams in the country take bad losses, except possibly who's the only team in the country without a bad loss? Michigan. I mean, Duke, uh, Duke lost at home to I mean, Syracuse. Virginia lost to Duke twice. Yeah, that's true. Virginia. So, but Tennessee is not they they've beaten who's been put in front of them. Uh, but we'll see how uh, things go. And LSU is a sneaky dangerous team here. Nine and one. Uh, they had a good weekend. They beat Auburn at home. They won at Mississippi State. Those are two good wins. Um, and we'll just we'll see. This SEC race is going to get interesting, and it's almost like this has all been a lengthy preamble of the teams avoiding each other. And now they're going to start playing each other. It does seem like those three teams have started to separate themselves a little bit. Um, 
you know, Auburn is still rated higher than LSU and Ken Palm, but they had another tough loss at LSU um, this week. You look at the uh, conference only, uh, you know, part of it is the, the quality of the schedule. The three easiest schedules so far ha- uh, on the SEC schedule, uh, SEC season has been Tennessee, Kentucky, and LSU. Tennessee had the easiest uh, by far, actually. Um, and so, you know, you look at it there, Tennessee's first in offense and second in defense. Kentucky is first in defense and fourth in offense. And LSU is third in both categories in SEC play. Auburn, is, if you case you're wondering, is second in offense and sixth in defense. Uh, they're also behind Alabama, Mississippi in defense. Um, yeah, so I think it is it's interesting you point that out. I hadn't noticed how, I mean, I knew that they hadn't played each other, but I hadn't noticed how weak the overall schedules have been from for all three teams. Um and so it's going to change this week. Kentucky plays Tennessee this weekend, and that's going to be a big one. It's at Kentucky. Um, and Kentucky hasn't lost since January 5th. So they've gone, um, tw- they've won 10 straight. Um, and Tennessee, you said, won like, at 18 straight. So um, there's going to be two teams that haven't lost in a long time, assuming that uh, Tennessee beat South Carolina earlier this week. And, well, Kentucky has LSU. They have a very difficult week. So. Yeah, Kentucky has. Um, I do think that Kentucky Tennessee are both like top ten quality teams and maybe even top five or six likelihood to win the national title. And Kentucky, uh, they have ten A games in SEC play, and Tennessee lucked out and got only seven. So it's an unbalanced schedule. You have different games at home and away than you would. They do play each other twice at least, which is good for the conference. Get those two teams to play two matchups. They play twice within basically uh, two weeks of each other. I think two Saturday Saturdays apart. Um, so that's good, but it's just, you know a little unfair to Kentucky. They're gonna have a slightly tougher schedule uh, down the, but their and their schedule down the stretch is also pretty tough. They still have uh, looks like five A games remaining, including a trip to two games against Tennessee. So we'll see. I like Kentucky actually. They come out of this conference. I think they're playing a little bit better right now, to, as the regular season champion. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Um, I think Kentucky is ultimately probably going to be the better team by the end of the season. They seem like they have a little more room to grow. I do want to mention Auburn um, had a chance to get their best win of the season. One of the criticisms of Auburn this year is that they don't have a really high-quality win. And indeed, they've played one, two, three, four, five, six A games and lost all six, including the one that they lost in Baton Rouge on Saturday. At, in that game, they did lead in the first half 26-10, uh, to 10, um, and they also led uh, 34 Oh, so no, here it is, 41-31 to 31 late in the first half. Um, but the second half, they were... Uh, they did not play well at all. Uh, the second half score was 45 to 37, um, and then actually the last three quarters of the game, if you want to look at it that way, uh, because that's how Kempom breaks it down. Uh, LSU outscored uh, Auburn 71 to 52, um, and Auburn is struggling on defense. Um, with them. they don't force turnovers, and they didn't. LSU only had 11 in the game. They struggled to stop teams, and then on offense, they made a bunch of threes, 16, but uh, it wasn't enough because um, well, one thing to note: they took 38 threes and they took 18 twos. That's kind of, I mean, that's that is interesting. Evil Nova-esque, I guess you might say. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, looking at the box score, they had 19 turnovers themselves, which really uh, burned them, including five from Jared Harper, who uh, nonetheless scored 25 points and actually had a pretty good game, except for the turnovers. Um, but yeah, Auburn's in a position where they're not really a contender to win the SEC title at five and five. They've given up too many games already, um, but. Even beyond that, uh, they need some quality wins, and they still have four more opportunities for A wins. They play at Kentucky, home to Mississippi State, at Alabama, and home to Tennessee. And if they don't get some a couple of those games, 
then their seed will probably be much lower than um, their kind of quality as a program this year uh, or their Kempom rating. Yeah, it's funny how their their expected seed probably went from like two or three. Now they're probably looking at very possible to be on the, probably the seven or eight line if things don't go their way down the stretch. And I don't think people expected that at the start of the year. So kind of tough, tough, tough breaks for Bruce Pearl. But maybe win a game against a good team and you won't have that problem. Wow. Tom, no, 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 no um, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. their best win is against Arizona, you know? <laughs> yeah, anyway, no, it's anyway. true. Um, speaking of a team that is, is actually lacking in quality wins, uh, Villanova, um, despite the lack of quality wins, had been 10-0 and in the Big East. Uh, they went into um, Fiserv Arena yesterday uh, and played Marquette, who was coming off a loss to uh, St. John's, the only thing they've lost to in conference play. Um, and Marquette took a very big lead uh, for most of the game, and then Villanova closed late, but ultimately lost uh, 66-65. They had a shot at, at it towards the end, um, but they didn't actually get a, an attempt off at the buzzer and, um, and fell by one point. Uh, notable, Marquette had 56 of their 66 points scored by Marcus Howard, who had 38, and Sakar Annam, the sophomore, who had 10, sorry, 18. Um, the rest of the team had 10. Um, and this is also the third straight game where Villanova's effective field goal percentage was 50% or worse. And that uh, is the first time that they've had three consecutive games of shooting that poorly uh, since the end of the 2013-2014 season. You may recall that was the first season of the, quote, new Big East. Villanova uh, entered the Big East tournament as the number one seed. Um, but Sterling Gibbs made a buzzer beater to beat Villanova in the conference tournament quarterfinals. That was the first game of their three of the three-game stretch, the last one they've had. Then in the NCAA tournament, they were a two seed. They played Milwaukee, and they beat Milwaukee, but they also didn't shoot that well in that game. And then uh, subsequently in, um, I believe it was a 2-7 game with Connecticut, um, they lost to Shabazz Napier and UConn. Uh, as UConn was on its way to the national championship. And you and I were talking about this uh, yesterday. Yes. Almost certainly the worst national champion in the last 30 years, uh, the 2014 UConn Huskies. Um, but that was the last time that Villanova had a shooting stretch as poor in terms of uh, consecutive games below 50% or after percent below. Uh, the, like the last three when they beat Georgetown and then beat Creighton in overtime, but then uh, lost uh, by one point in this game to Marquette. Yeah, this was quite the fall from grace these last three games for Villanova. I don't know if you watched the crating game. They went to overtime and uh, snuck that one out in Omaha. Sorry, at home on uh, Wednesday. There was a questionable foul call that helped the game go to overtime uh, on a three-point shot by Creighton. But Villanova, we were t- they were you know routinely in the 1.3s point per possessions uh, through the first part of this biggie schedule, and they ran into Marquette. Um, this game was crazy because they were down a huge in the second half and came back, took a lead, and eventually lost. Their depth is going to be a problem here. Obviously, we know we've talked about Javon Quinterly. They basically only got 29 minutes off their bench. They're in the bottom 200, in the high 200s as far as bench minutes this year in the country, and that's going to be a problem for them, especially in the tournaments. Um, and they just keep shooting, and they started making some threes down the stretch. That's what got them back in this game. Um, but when you take 29 threes and 28 twos, you got to shoot better than 9 for 29. Uh, against Marquette. And Marquette, again, another team with imbalance, relying so heavily on Howard and Aneem is going to be an interesting uh, way to go through. But this this conference, as we looked at in the schedule, Providence is, what, in eighth place and they're a game behind third place? Like This conference is a mess below these two teams. Um, I would be very surprised if they're not playing Saturday at the Garden for the uh, Big East Championship. But, again, these teams so reliant on 
certain players, anything can happen uh, in the big. Maybe so. I, mean, I just totally contradicted myself. I would be. I wouldn't be surprised if one of these teams got ambushed in the uh, Big East tournament, especially uh, playing on back-to-back days. Yeah, Villanova obviously quite dependent on the three-point shot. We discussed that a lot last week. Phil Booth and Colin Gillespie combined to shoot two of thirteen. They did. Get, there were a lot of difficult looks, but they were also some they usually make. Marquette does tend to be a little bit more balanced than they were yesterday. Uh, Sam and Joey Hauser um, usually contribute more than they did. They combine for just four points. Uh, of course, Sam Hauser is, is one of the best scorers in the Big East, and he uh, only took six shots and make, and only had four points. And Joey Hauser was held scoreless. Um, and I mean, this was the weekend where we saw a lot of the top matchups that we've been waiting for in some of these conferences. Um, we had obviously we'd seen Duke Virginia previously, but we did see Marquette Villanova. We did see Cincinnati Houston for the first time. And then in the next week or so, we're seeing some of the other matchups we haven't seen in a while, which includes um, uh, the Tennessee Kentucky game that we already talked about. You know, the rest of the Big East, we'll get into Providence later. Probably a better part to talk about the, uh, the muddle below. Um, but yeah, we're still in the situation we were a few for the last couple of weeks, where there's two teams with winning records, and literally everyone else in the conference, three through ten, has a losing record. And that starts with third place team. It's actually a five-way tie for third place at five and six: Butler, St. John, Seton Hall, Georgetown, and DePaul. And then you have Creighton and Providence at five, four and seven, and Xavier's at three and eight. Um, so between Pro- Providence and Creighton at four and seven, and Butler at five and six, you have three through nine in seedings in theory but only one game in the actual standings. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how how big a mishmash it is there. All right, shall we move on to the uh, top 16 seeds, the bracket tees the NCAA pulled off yesterday? Yeah, let's let's talk. So I'm going to go too deep in the weeds on bracketology on February 10th, but Brendan, you and I were at a bar when uh, after this was revealed, and you had not seen it, so I asked you to guess them, and you had pretty well handled the top eight seeds. You got a little hazy on the three and four lines, but you did a pretty good job. Uh, just to run through them, Duke is the overall number one seed as of yesterday, is before they played Virginia. Tennessee, number two. Virginia, three. Gonzaga is the fourth four seed. Kentucky is the first two seed, followed by Michigan, North Carolina, Michigan State. On the three line, you have Purdue, Kansas, Houston, which won at Cincinnati today. Uh, Marquette, this is before Marquette beat Villanova. Uh, on the four line, you have Iowa State, Nevada, only one loss all year, Louisville and Wisconsin, which lost to Michigan on Saturday. So uh, is there anything that seems like really off to you about these right now? Obviously the top four, you pretty much can't argue with. Uh, I don't even think the arguments begin in the top eight. So what, anything strange about these to you, Brandon? Well, I mean, if it, it depends on, it always depends on what the, um, the battleground or the kind of the basis is for discussion about um, bracketology. If you're doing it based on like, you know, the way they've done it in the past and trying to be fair based on the principles they set up previously, I think they did a really good job. Um, and, and the judgment I use is, is bracket matrix. You look at bracket matrix, um, which is the aggregate of all the brackets entering Saturday, and they had the same four top seeds. It was a slightly different order. They had the same four number two seeds in a slightly different order. Um, and then they had the same four number three seeds in a, in a slightly different order. And number four seeds, the only difference was... Um, Iowa State was in, um, as you mentioned, as the top number four seed, actually, whereas Villanova is on the four line in bracket matrix. Of course, before both teams actually lost yesterday. Um, and in fact, 
Wisconsin also lost and Louisville. So except for Nevada, uh, all of the teams that were four seeds in either the bracket matrix or the uh, reveal lost uh, yesterday. But that you know, that happens. This is not this is not the college football where you have to kind of win every game or go eleven and one, um, unless you're in the SEC or whatever. Um, no, I, I really don't have any problem with it. I think it, it shows that the there's not going to be a huge change. It doesn't look like I don't see like any kind of like diverting greatly from previous ways of doing things. They're using the net instead of the RPI, so it's basically using a different, better formula for determining how the quality of your opponents. Um, but they're still striking that balance between saying, especially in the top four seeds, lower down is when you get into kind of like discussing about resumes a little bit more um, in like quality of wins, quality wins, bad losses. In the top four, it's like a, it's more a mix. You talk about the quality of wins and the bad losses, yes, but you also kind of look at the general quality of the team apart from like the actual wins and losses they have on the court. And so that's why you have a team like Nevada, which still doesn't have one of the top four, top 16 resumes in the country if you look at the quality of their wins. But they are considered a top 16 team by Ken Palm, and they only have one loss all season, and they have been blowing out opponents, with the exception of the New Mexico game and a couple other close games. Um, and then you have a, uh, I, you know, I just think, yeah, I don't have much more to say. It seems like it's very reasonable. I, I, there's no seed that I'm like, eh, that was really dumb. Um, Villanova, obviously, I, I would think they're one of the top 16 teams in the country even after the loss to Mar- at Marquette but at the same time you know you look at their resume and I think it's a little bit underrated honestly because people don't give any credit to any of the teams below the Villanova and Marquette in the Big East uh, they did beat Florida State in neutral court they did win at Providence at Creighton and at Butler which are all considered a wins by Ken Palm and their borderline I think um, Providence is still is like in the 70s and um and 70s or 80s in net, but or will be after the St. John's. They're uh, 80. Uh, sorry, 74 through yesterday. Okay, 74. So yeah, yeah. so they, um, so their their borderline tier one win on the road. So that could end up being a tier one win if Providence continues to play as well as it did over the weekend. Um, and so yeah, that's not like super awesome wins. They lost the Michigan game, and they've also have a couple bad losses um, to Penn and to Furman. Um, but I, I mean, we didn't talk about Villanova that much. We talked about him already, and and it's not really it's anything to, to to worry about. I think basically what this shows you, my overall top line is, there's not going to be a huge difference between how the NCAA brackets teams this year and how they did it last year, just because they went from the RPI to net, and which is not a surprise, but it's somewhat comforting to know we're not like way far afield from where we thought we'd be. And it really lines up. I'm looking at the net through yesterday, so it's obviously not perfectly in sync because some of the games that are reflected in the net are, are not factored into this. But really, 14 of the top 16 teams in the net are in this, and the only two that are not in it are Texas Tech, which is 12th, and Virginia Tech, which is 14th. They're replaced by, it looks desirable on it. They're replaced by Kansas, which is 18th, and Marquette, which is 21st. And obviously Marquette, uh, most of this reflects the game against Villanova. So really, you know, you have 14 of the top 16 teams in the net are in the, um, are in this bracket reveal. And the top four seeds are all the top four teams in the net. And you go down, it's very similar. So they are definitely going to look at the net. I think the biggest overachiever here is Houston in the net is 7th, even before their win against um, Cincinnati, they're 11th in this. So they are definitely, the net seems to be lining up with what they want to do. 
Um, so I definitely would keep an eye on the net as it comes time for bracketology because you're not going to start this new system and just kind of have any major outliers. I think that is going to be something they think about twice when they're making the bracket and line up the seed lines. Um, so I definitely keep an eye on that. But yeah, it doesn't seem like it's that crazy. And the fact that you were able to rattle off 12 of the teams right away and pretty much exactly where they were shows you that this is not going to be that unpredictable uh, in about a month's time. I guess it's, what are we, five weeks away from Selection Sunday? Um, so yeah. So uh, and I yeah. think that's what you want from the committee. Yeah. You want predictability, even if it's yeah. not exactly the way that you would kind of want teams to be evaluated, and you're still being based a lot on your schedule. And basically, the, it's a schedule quality rater more than it is uh, not more than it is quality of your team. But the schedule is a little bit too important. But n- nonetheless, like it's predictable, and that's I think a big part of what makes yeah. for like well-functioning organizations. It's like we know, okay. There's not major outliers. It's not like a out of nowhere decision, and maybe one every once in a while there is. But basically, it's like okay, it makes sense. Let's move on. You know. And and all the schools know the rules, know what's going on, so they're not gonna be surprised. They're not gonna be like, oh well, our schedule really deserves this versus that. It's you know, it's it's comfort in knowing that it's they do a pretty good job. And you and I have talked about this before. And we don't need to go down this rabbit hole, but they do a good pretty job of picking the 68 teams. Sometimes they just have really weird seed decisions and matchup decisions, but. Um, but they do a pretty good job picking the teams, and I think they're on, on track yeah. here with this reveal. So, good. Moving on, we'll see. What... I think this, yeah, we can move. We talk about seed decisions and how they do it later. I was going to yeah. start talking about why they get into some problems in the middle of the season. We can discuss that. We should have, so, we're, after the selection um, show, we're going to have a sub pod just ripping the, the weird selection decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not going to post it. We're just going to talk about it yeah. before we. Yeah. Um, uh, the last topic I have is Cincinnati Houston, uh, a game that I mentioned a couple of times. Um, this is the, a matchup of the two best teams in the AAC. And I, I do want to note also that the AAC has passed the Pac-12 and the Ken Palm ratings for best conference. That happened during the week. Um, I'm not sure exactly what um, what occurred to get that to happen, but um, you know, the American is now the sixth best conference in America. Um, it might have been Arizona. And they had that kind of six in their logo. It might have been their loss at home by 21 to... Uh... Washington State. That might have been that might have been what pushed it over the edge here. <laughs> yeah. So both of the conferences, like basically the gap from the American to the Big East is um, nearly as big as the gap from the Big East to like the top three conferences. Um, but uh, but it, it's I mean it's the sixth best conference, and even though it has a very bad bottom, East Carolina, Tulane, especially the the best teams are good, and Houston plays Cincinnati, um, and. You know, they played an interesting game. Uh, Houston won uh, 65-58, a game that was... Houston seemed like they were leading by a few points pretty much the whole game. At one point, Cincinnati came and took a lead. Jaron Cumberland uh, took a lot of shots. He took 25 field goal attempts, which is probably too many. Um, But he did score 27 points. Um, Houston ended up winning the game. They got a really, uh, really, really good performance from um, a guy from their bench, actually. uh, Giroux. Uh, Dejan Giro, who was a transfer from uh, my, uh, Massachusetts. Um, he left Massachusetts when they uh, fired, I guess, Derek Kellogg a couple years ago. Um, and he's been like a high-volume, low-efficiency player for Houston most of the season. But he, in this case, he was um, high-volume and high-efficiency. And he scored like 11 straight points at one point in the second half when Corey Davis, Houston's best player, was on the bench. I'm not exactly sure why he was on the bench. Um, I don't think it was foul trouble. 
but he, he, I remember looking up and being like, wow, Corey Davis hasn't been out there for a while. Um, but Giroux took over. He's very long, very athletic, but also can handle the ball and, and can shoot a little bit, um, although he probably had one of his best games of his career considering the competition today. And that was enough, that stretch of scoring, because Cincinnati had a, had a um, cold stretch. They depended way too much on Jaron uh, Cumberland, even though he might be the best player in the AAC. Um, they didn't get enough from other players in the second half. Um, you know, other guys just chucking up air balls, um, including uh, Nikith Williams had an air ball or two. Kane Broom made some nice plays, but then also some less nice plays. Justin Jennifer was pretty much anonymous despite being a senior. Um, and, on, you know, on the road, not a bad performance. It, you know, Cincinnati had, had only lost one conference game all year, strangely, at East Carolina, so they were bound to lose another one. And here it was at Houston, um, and the... Um, the Cougars are now 22 and one in the season. They only have one loss um, in conference as well at Temple by four. You had any thoughts on this game? Uh, I think Cincinnati. I know it's not a terrible loss. I think they'll be upset because they didn't score in the last six plus minutes of this game, and so their their offense was fine. It fell apart at the end, and that's going to upset McCronin. I think they are obviously fine. This is a tough place to play. Um, they were supposed to lose by five points according to Ken Palm. They ended up losing by seven points. So really, um, not. Uh, surprise, but you know, you watch this game, it's a back and forth game, and you really would like to see some more offense down the stretch. Obviously, they're not scoring six plus minutes down the game, it's kind of insane. And so, give credit to Houston's defense, which you know is pretty good, but at the same time, um, I think, uh, you know, the Cincinnati's, you know, if they're gonna run into a good defense like Houston, which came and ranked, I think, 11th in the country in adjusted efficiency, uh, yeah, I think. Cincinnati may it's yeah just a game they had they were right there it wasn't like they came out unprepared they didn't come out flat they were just right there you know five seven minutes to go and they just didn't score and that's got to be frustrating so it happens in college basketball sometimes yeah. a six minute drought isn't that remarkable but when it comes down the stretch against your the best team in the conference it's going to be frustrating yeah it feels like maybe Houston has a, a couple more answers than Cincinnati not as dependent on one player um, and maybe that was a difference here that even when Corey Davis went to the bench, they were able to get something from someone else. Um, and I don't think they can depend on Dejan Giroux, uh, but he has been somewhat better in conference play. Um, uh, he has had a, one, a 102 offensive rating in conference play, whereas the whole season was 95, 7.5 against obviously a slightly worse caliber of competition overall um, rather than the conference. Uh, a couple more things I just want to note before we move on to uh, the No Homers Club is uh, Killian Tilly, um, he had a plantar fascia tear um, diagnosed. He's going to be out for maybe four to six weeks, which will take him right around uh, the NCAA tournament. Um, he obviously missed a lot of part of the season earlier with a, um, a fracture in his foot. And uh, he has been he was one of their best players last season. He's you know, been good this year, but hasn't been as vital. One, coming back from injury, and the fact they have Brandon Clark, the transfer from San Jose State. Um, but nonetheless, without Killian Tilly, the ceiling for Gonzaga, which is ranked right now number two in Ken Palm and is throttling um, West Coast Conference teams in a way that we've never even seen Gonzaga do. Um, it, you look at what they did this weekend. They played St. Mary's, which is uh, good. Like I just want to make clear, like they're not. It's not a bad St. Mary's. They're a top 50 team, and they won by 48 points. Three day, two days after playing San Francisco, which also the top 50 Ken Palm team, and they won by 30 points. Their um, their margin in conference, their offense is scoring 1.27 points per possession. Their defense is allowing 0.82 points per possession, which is 0.45 points per possession difference, which means they basically 
are um, every two possessions they score one more point than you, which is that's ridiculous. crazy. Yeah, there is un- un- unbelievable what they've done in that conference. Yeah, and if, if you look at the uh, the four factors in the miscellaneous components for conference only on Ken Palm, there are uh, eight obviously four factors: offense and defense, and then there are uh, ten other miscellaneous components. That's, that's eighteen total, and of those eighteen. Gonzaga is first in a good West Coast conference. This is, this is like the eighth best conference in America. They are first in 13 of the 18 measures. They're second in th- three others. They're third in one other. And the only thing they're worse than third in is, is free throw rate, where they're actually eighth and, and not very good at getting the foul line. So they've played 10 conference games. They're 10-0. They've scored 90 or more in six of those games. They've scored 85 or more in eight of those games. Uh, one time they scored 67 points and they won 67-36, so they're doing quite well. Yeah, the, the average score in their game is 87.8 to 56.7. So they're averaging basically what is that? A 31 point, 31.1 point victory in every game they play this year. Yeah. So. Yeah. They won games 98-30. They have a 98-39 game this year in the conference on the road, by the way. So yeah, they're good. Uh, and Tilly obviously. Foot injury, his foot's been bothering. Have you ever had plantar fasciitis, Brendan? Because it's not pleasant. Um, I have had plantar fasciitis. Um, yeah, I've spent a lot of time rubbing my my arches and my my heel. Yeah, the ice, the ice, uh, the water bottle on the, that you roll over your heel, you roll your heel over it is a good therapy for that. So I'm guessing that um, Mr. Tilly will be doing that for a while. Um, but yes, Gonzaga. Obviously, blowing people out of the water in the West Coast Conference. You know, I'm a little down on them compared to some other teams, but they're definitely opening to my brows. That was a very impressive weekend against two decent teams. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk much about the Big Ten. We'll get to them a little bit in No Homers Club. I want to introduce New Homers Club with uh, with a question for you. So we saw a few weeks ago that Matthew McConaughey was on the bench for Texas wearing a burnt orange suit. Yeah. Who uh, Who's the Matthew McConaughey? That would be on the bench wearing like a powder blue suit at Columbia or like a, a royal blue or whatever color. What's the, is there a color for Kansas blue? Is there like a term for that? Just, I don't know if there is, but I got I got the Just answers blue. for you. You ready? So, two great luminaries yeah, of American life. Kansas is Jason Sudeikis. Mm-hmm. Columbia, Barack Obama. Okay. There you go. That's wow. It. Yeah. Boom boom. Yeah. Jason Sudeikis and Barack Obama. Yeah, those are your guys. So they, they I guess they, they probably had the cool factor. That, that's 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 pretty good. So I mean, for uh, Providence and Northwestern, hmm. So uh, for Providence, I'm gonna go with um, with Jay Peterman uh, of Seinfeld fame, but the the actual actor. Uh, oh, it took who, a long time to get a Seinfeld. Uh, I've, no, I'll look it up. Yeah. it took a long time to get a Seinfeld reference. Oh, jo- John O'Hurley. John O'Hurley. Yeah. 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 So John O'Hurley is uh, a uh, a Providence alum. Um, let me just double check this so I don't sound like really dumb later. He's from oh, Maine. Yeah, Providence College. Um, uh, I, I'm gonna go with John O'Hurley. I think he's cool enough. Like like the McConaughey thing is you have to be really cool. And I think John O'Hurley is like a pretty cool guy. He's that, that deep voice. You can imagine him being on the sideline, giving like some raised eyebrows at players and um, and kind of uh, being in that role. Now, North, uh, you know, there's obviously some other good alumni from Providence. Uh, Jeanine Garofalo came to mind. I don't think she would really take to the role too much. She might. She's a little bit apathetic, so I don't, I don't know if I'd go with her. But um, for Northwestern, this is a tough one. Um, but I think I would go with, um, I think I also go with Northwestern with a Seinfeld reference. Yeah. I go with uh, uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus. I think it would be double Seinfeld. Boom. Um, double, and, double Seinfeld and, and the uh, double wearing, Yeah. 
like baby maybe like totally in in a veep getup like a purple huh. veep uh, style suit she's already been there you know she followed the team closely in their tournament run two years ago so she's already, I, you can picture what aware. you'd be like yeah you are aware yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could. I, I think I, we need her on the bench. We were struggling this year, we're not scoring many points. Get Julie Dreyfus on the bench. Uh, get John O'Hurley on the bench at Providence. This is how we uh, we kind of have a great stretch down the down the, the season. We're gonna win seven of eight both teams and get in the NCAA tournament, surprise everyone. It's not gonna happen though unless you dig in to your Seinfeld roots and get John O'Hurley and Julie Dreyfus on the bench. Yeah. Anyway, what do you think of uh, Columbia and Kansas? This Just uh, one more thing for uh, Providence alums. Doris Burke would be a good thing to have on the be- on the bench, a good person. But she's too yeah. busy working all these other games, so she'll never be there. So she'd actually uh, probably maybe help their offense. She'd probably yeah. figure out a way to improve their offense. So they can get some better looks. Yeah. So anyway, Kansas. Uh, sorry, let's start with Columbia. They played arguably the game of the season this year. Um, uh, they had a triple overtime game in Harvard. Of course, they lost because Columbia loses close games. It's a really good skill that they have. They lose another close game. Uh, this one had a buzzer beater uh, to force overtime for Columbia. And then in double overtime, um, that's in regular overtime, Harvard had a buzzer beater to force double overtime. Then they had a clutch three to force triple overtime. And then, of course, Harvard won. Um, Brent, did you remember what we did on Valentine's Day in 2014, you and I? Was was that when we, was that we went to Harvard Columbia? Oh yeah, Columbia. Yeah, it was a classic Valentine's Day. <laughs> of course, I, we should also note for listeners, Brendan was married at the time, but he spent the day with me, screaming at uh, Ivy League officials. I believe your line was, "It's a hard job. It's not that hard." Um, yeah. Was Columbia lost that game? I mean, we were sitting in the, with the Columbia students yeah, too. Yeah. Were... So uh, a couple couple things here. <laughs> One, the Columbia Harvard game. Uh, is the is it fourth rated game of the season in terms of excitement? Actually, the number one rated game happened yesterday. Wow! Because before yesterday, the number one rated game for excitement on Ken Palm was the Georgetown Providence game that Georgetown won in double overtime, and Harvard Columbia had been third. But then the Presbyterian Gardner Webb game from yesterday blew both out of the water. A 103-101 overtime win for Presbyterian. So anyway, we should probably check out those highlights at some point. Yeah. Maybe we can get, uh, get some sound from the guard. Well, I'm not going to promise that. but um, So that's one. Two, <laughs> so uh, we've talked about it before. Columbia's head coach uh, was Kyle Smith, and he and his wife went to um, our church, my wife and I, my church. We got to know them, and so we started going to the games. And so obviously other friends of ours who might like college basketball, especially folks like Tom who went to Columbia and like college basketball, we figured let's start getting tickets and going to these games. And uh um, and so we got to the Columbia game from work, and I think we were a little bit later than everyone else, and we weren't allowed to the, onto the side of the court where, like, my wife and, like, other of our friends were sitting. And so Tom and I, maybe someone else, went to um, the yeah. – we were, we were, we were shuttled Brian, into the I student think, yeah. section. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Brian. So we sat, like, third or fourth row of the student section, like, surrounded by 18- to 22-year-old Columbia students. And what was a, it was a great game, uh, overtime game, a really bad um, charge call – on um on was called against columbia um late in the regulation uh, that would have led to um free throws that would have put columbia ahead presumably if they had made the free throws and they ultimately lost in overtime what are your other thoughts on that game or other columbia things uh that's all i got so on that game but it was another frustrating loss columbia is losing a lot of close games and that hasn't I don't see any sign of that changing, so not there here. Uh, Kansas lost at Kansas State, then blew out Oklahoma State at home. Their very uh, their bench is, which was already short, is getting shorter. Gerald Vick is away from the team for personal reasons. 
Uh, Marcus Geyer has not played recently, and he's been vital. So if you look at the starters for this game, you had Lawson, Dotson, and Grimes, and then you had Oche Abaji and David McCormick starting. And the only other players who played were Mitch Lightfoot, Charlie Moore, and KJ Lawson, who has been very disappointing this year. Kind of a tandem with Dietrich Lawson. Dietrich Lawson, you can't say anything bad about, but KJ Lawson's been disappointing. Charlie Moore, another disappointing transfer for Kansas. Um, so this team is, this is why Cal. they're, oh, sorry, yeah, but for Kansas, but um, from Cal, uh, this is a team that you can see why this team is their streak for another Big 12 title is in jeopardy. Uh, and they need to get, I hate to say it, they need to get LeGerald Vick back. And obviously Marcus Garrett uh, is key just because A, he's been an unlikely source of offense in some of the games. And B, they definitely miss him defensively. They miss Vick defensively too. They allowed, despite winning this game comfortably, they allowed 1.14 points per possession to Oklahoma State, which is not a good team. So um, their offense is obviously better than their defense, mm. but they are seventh in the conference in offense. So uh, we will see. But Kansas on a little bit of a – the whole Big 12 stretch is tough, obviously. So I'm trying to get back to their schedule. I forget who they – oh, they played at TCU, which had a big win. We talked about that. That's a big Monday game um, this week, and then they come back home and play uh, West Virginia, which should be a win. So they have uh, a manageable week. Um Hopefully, for their sake, yeah, their schedule back. isn't actually that tough down the stretch as as far as schedules go. Yeah. Starting with the Oklahoma State game, basically the final eight games of the season. Uh, yeah, there's tough games in there at TCU, at Texas Tech, uh, at Oklahoma, but they play Kansas State at home and Baylor at home. There's not going to be any stretches like, wow, this is so easy. But um, it's not. It could be tougher, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And so Kansas, even though they're seven and four, they're a game and a half out of first place. Um, they have played um, a decent touch schedule so far, and it gets a little bit easier. Although K-State schedule actually gets even easier uh, down the stretch. Um, for my team, so Northwestern is playing uh, right now against Iowa, um, but their notable result of the week was um, losing to 0-10 Ken- uh, Penn State at home in conference, which was uh, uh, ignominious, I guess you could say at best. Um Northwestern has now lost three straight conference games, including that 7.1. They are playing currently at Iowa. Um, uh, Northwestern is in last place in the Big Ten in offensive efficiency in conference play, um, much like Providence is. Um, I mean, the seasons are kind of marrying each other a little bit, um, especially when you see a guy like Vic Law, who is much like Alpha Diallo at Providence, is taking on too much of a burden, um, too much of a scoring load. His offensive rating is down to 77.7 in conference play on 25% possessions, which is just not a formula that's going to lead to um, good offense. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know what the point of the rest of the season is going to be for Northwestern, but you watch the games, hope they get a big win here, here or there, um, and, you know, it looks unlikely they're going to get a 500 record, but I guess it's possible if they finish strong. Um, their schedule in the stretch is actually quite difficult. They have, um, including today, six of their last nine games are A games, um, and one, two, three, four of those are on the road. Um, and as games are getting tougher, like Illinois at Illinois is not looking like a, quite a tough game, as the um, as the Illini have won five of eight. For Providence, um, you know, they, they, they had lost, as we mentioned last week, they lost those two big games to DePaul and Seton Hall on the road. This week, uh, they lost at home to Georgetown in a game they really needed to win. And after that game, you know, as resigned as I kind of was last week to Providence not making the NCAA tournament, the home loss to a team as poor as Georgetown 
um, was a sign that really is there really is not really hope for an at-large bid this year. Um, but that said, they did go to uh, St. John's Madison Square Garden yesterday and won by 14. Uh, Tom and I were there, um, and it was uh, it was great to see. They, it was the first game all conference season where they shot at least 40% on three pointers, um, and it was the first time they had gone, I think, 10 straight games of not scoring. Let me see if I have this right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, they had gone from the f- um, actually since Tuesday, December 18th. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They had had 12 consecutive games where they hadn't scored at least 1.03 points per possession. It's a random pretty, number, but no, it's, it's pretty like 1.03. Bad, that's like yeah, barely, it's not that hard. Like below average now. Yeah. yeah. And they had got 12 consecutive games where they hadn't scored at least 1.03 points per possession. But against St. John's, they did. They scored 1.09, and they won by 14. Their defense continues to be quite good. Um, and you, you hope, you know, I'm not talking about NCAA tournament or seeding or quality wins, but the fact that their defense is good and maybe their offense, you can squint and kind of see it coming together slightly, at least for one day, um, that there are going to be some wins on the stretch at least, and they won't have an embarrassing season. They'll more have like a disappointing season, and that's what we're looking at uh, at this point. Yeah, my two thoughts on that are the David Duke dunk, if you haven't seen it, look it up. It was pretty great in the first half against St. John's. And two, the Big Ten, I don't really talk about it, but Michigan State had three straight losses after winning, I think, 17 straight games overall, including to Illinois, uh, that team you mentioned. So that was an interesting turn of events for them. I know that uh, they're going to be shorthanded now um, with uh, Langford out for the year. Langford out, yeah. Yeah. So, interesting, uh, they lost to Purdue, no shame at that on the road. Then they lost at home to Indiana, we talked about that last week, that was a bad loss. Then they lost a crazy game to Illinois where they came from all the way down, take the lead, and then blew it at the end. They let 68-65 after trailing by 14. Uh, so, Michigan State not quite as invincible as they looked even like 10 days ago. Uh, so, yeah, just that's the, my thoughts on the Big Ten. You want to get that in there? Yeah, a couple of Big Ten thoughts to wrap up. It's it's important to talk about the conferences. The best conference in America, we probably shouldn't. Uh, we did talk about my three points were on three other conferences, so it's important to talk about. But uh, Nick Ward was better yesterday for Michigan State as they uh, as they throttled Minnesota. Uh, we also saw Michigan knock off Wisconsin um, after uh, having lost to them previously. Um, Purdue continues to win. Um, Purdue has not lost since uh, January 8th when they lost at Michigan State. They Blew out Nebraska at home by 19. Nebraska is pretty much done. Uh, then Indiana lost today at home to Ohio State by three. They had a shot the buzzer to tie it and did not make it. And it now, was a terrible um, last Indiana, possession, by it, the way. Yeah. 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 And they also lost Indiana to Iowa. Is now, uh, yeah. They lost They're, to Iowa at home by five. They're four and nine in conference. They started three and zero. Oh, they've lost eight of nine conference games. And coming up, it doesn't get it doesn't get any easier. You look at their schedule at Minnesota, home to Purdue, at Iowa home to Wisconsin, home to Michigan State, uh, and then the last two games of the season are at Illinois and home to Rutgers. I don't know being a, a tough game. So. They're not favored in a game There's until the end of their yeah. last game. There's actually a, re- a legitimate Rutgers. shot that they – yeah. There's a legitimate chance that they're like 5-14 and 14 in, two, in three weeks. Like, Which that's is like, crazy. Uh, that's a real thing that could happen. Yeah, they started 12-2. and two. And they ended up at 3-0 and in conference, uh, which was the team. It was Maryland last year, right, that started so hot and then blew it down the stretch. Was that them in the Big Ten, or was it somebody making that up? Let's take a look. That sounds realistic. Yeah, Maryland started 13-3, 2-1 in conference, and then yeah. finished Yeah, they, they finished 6-9 and nine in their final games and then lost in the first Big Ten tournament game to Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, as we're taking a look back at some teams that have fallen uh, the last couple uh, few weeks let's look at our um 
our picks at the beginning of the year. We remember it's like episode number two. We picked basically based on the on the top six conferences and their preseason projections. Um, the the media poll in the Big Ten's case, or the coaches' poll in the other leagues' case, which we thought we were going to underachieve or overachieve. Um, and so, in this, you know, uh, you know, Thompson kicked my butt pretty much in the picks this year. But uh, but this is, I think, I'm going to win this one. So yeah, you're looking let's good. Review, um, <laughs> Yeah, so Tom had uh, Kansas State an under of being picked two. Right now they're first, and they're picked to be tied for first. So that's Whoops. not a good one. Nope. TCU the over. They were picked tied for fourth, and they're currently seventh, picked at seventh. Um, Michigan the under. They were picked second, and right now they're first, and picked to go tied for first. Providence the under. The one he gets right. The one pick he gets right Which is I my out favorite of team. Spite, well by the way. underperforming. Yeah, yeah. And also they, yeah. they're a few wins away they're, from slicing that off, slicing some of those uh, – those places off, so we're not feeling too good about that one either. Yeah, Providence picked third, currently tied for eighth, and prepared to finish ninth. Um, that's a, a, a six-pick difference if you can get the ninth. Um, and then Florida picked uh, fifth, currently tied for ninth, and prepared to be finished tied for eighth. Um, so what so what went wrong here, Tom? Uh, everything. I mean, Florida's been really disappointing, obviously. So And so is TCU. They've been inconsistent. Um, and Kansas State, I really just thought they were... A, a happy victim of circumstance last year, and they weren't. They're playing really well. Their defense is amazing, and I owe them an apology. So uh, we'll see what happens. I don't really see much room for uh, growth here. I think my biggest change here is Providence moving up in the standings. That's probably the most likely thing, which will lose me points. I don't see Florida doing anything. Uh, TCU maybe could sneak out of seventh a little bit uh, if they get a couple big wins, but then, of course, I'd have to root for them against Kansas. So really not my uh, not some of my best work here. Just, yeah, flat out. You want to say I messed up? I messed up. So I printed five times. Yeah. But only four yeah. times. <laughs> I picked Providence under. They're not bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so my picks were Missouri under. They're, they were picked ninth, and they're currently uh, tied for 11th and been picked and picked to finish tied for 11th. Arkansas, uh, I picked the under. They're picked tenth. They were picked tenth, and they're tied for seventh and picked to finish tied for eighth. So I, I'm not doing well on that one. I picked Nebraska in the under. They were picked fourth. They're currently in 13th. They picked to finish tied for 11th, so that's a good one. Texas Tech, I picked the over. They're, they were picked seventh, and they're now tied for second and predicted to finish tied for first, so that's a good one. And then Illinois looked really bad a couple weeks ago, but they were picked 13th, um, and I had them over on them. They're now in ninth place and predicted to finish 10th. So um, if you add up all of my places, I have, um, let's see, I have like about 16 or 17 place gains from the the picks, and Tom, you have a minus. Oh, you have like zero, a minus one, because Providence has six, and then the rest of them add up to about minus seven. So, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I'm I'm happy about that at least. You know, we we move yeah. on to picks, and I'm sure next week you'll be better at my picks than I am. But uh, but for this week, I I did one game better than you in picks, and yeah. uh, my pre, my projections are doing okay. So everything's coming up, Brendan. Yeah, and Providence won at St. John's. So. Yeah. And the kid I was taking care of, uh, he ate food and um, and. Yeah, let's not let's let's not gloss over this. Incidents. Brendan, the, Brendan, the babysitter, took a six-year-old to Madison Square Garden. They rode the uh, one train together, came down, had a hot dog, some fries, bought him ice cream at halftime. Only slip up, you there. You weren't watching when the young fellow opened up uh, his Dippin' Dots before he got back to his seat, and I could see the panic in your eyes when he started yeah. to do that. You put the lid back on. Yeah. But then he was he was not too – he had a little basketball. We ran around the concourse. He was dribbling uh, his basketball, but it wasn't too disruptive. Everyone thought he was cute. 
And I assume he got home okay because you came back to meet us and the kid was not there. So good job there. Unless you just left him on the one train and stuff to pin the $2 bill to him and said, I left luck. him. I left him at Magpie where they <laughs> where you can get greeting cards and yeah. stationery. So, and he seemed to have a good time. Um, and, he, and we learned he was good at math. He knew what 10 times 8 was. I was impressed. He is good at math. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> For the record, it was Mini Melts, not uh, Dip It Dots. Oh, excuse me. I don't want to make sure we get the brand in there. No, yeah. Neither is the sponsor of this great podcast. <clears throat> Yeah, but they could be. If, contact yeah. us, doublebonuspod at gmail.com. If yeah. you want to sponsor, we take all forms of currency, even uh, even on a, even Bitcoin. If you want to, if you want to go that route, we'll take Bitcoin. Yeah. Let's let's look ahead. We we have one game under the radar to look ahead to. First of all, you know, as I mentioned, I went seven and four last week. Tom's six and five. Tom's gonna go and figure out the the season record because I'm not doing that. At some he's point, yeah. But yeah, yeah. He's go it'd be a good project to do that. Yeah. I'm definitely in front on that one, but we'll get we'll get an update for you guys next week. Yeah. Um, our under-the-radar game, before we jump into the other games, is Syracuse at NC State on Wednesday. Um, these are two teams that are basically around 40 in Ken Palm, uh, 30, in the 30s, um, and they're both mid-seeds in the bracket matrix. Uh, Syracuse is a 9, and NC State is, an, is a 10. And um, and they're both, they both had wins against bad teams. Uh, well, not bad teams, but not as good teams this weekend. NC State won at... Um, Pitt, which was a good win actually to get. Make sure you don't lose that one. And Syracuse beat uh, Boston College at home. And um, NCAA in particular needs this home win because they don't have a whole lot of quality wins. If you look, I mean, this, is, this would not be an A win, but you, they only have two A wins this season. And the last one they had was January 3rd at Miami. And well, they, Miami beat, uh, you know, they beat Pittsburgh yesterday on the road. That's an A win, actually. Oh, that's an A win. There yeah. you go. There's, there's oh, an A win. Three A wins, yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're they are starved for top fifty wins. Look at their schedule. They have top fifty win at home against Auburn and at home against Clemson, and that's it. So the chance for a third of those against uh, Syracuse, which is number forty two in Ken Palm. Um, the Orange are kind of surprisingly eight and three in conference. Their only conference losses were home against Georgia Tech, which makes it even weirder, um, as well as at Virginia Tech and home against Florida State. Um, but they have a really tough end of the season schedule. Four, five, six of their last seven games are A games, starting with North Carolina State. They play NC State, Louisville, Duke, North Carolina, then a break against Wake Forest, then Virginia and Clemson. At, on the road, the last one is to end the season. So that 8-3 and three could turn into 10-8, and eight, uh, just like that, if, especially if they don't win a game like this game at NC State. Um, Syracuse, of course, is a better defensive team than offensive. They're eighth in the uh, ACC in offense, fifth in defense. NC State runs. Uh, they, it's a good contrast in like defensive styles because Syracuse runs that zone, two-three zone, and slows you down that way. NC State plays to play fast and plays the press. They are tenth in the in the uh, ACC in defense and seventh in offense. Um, Syracuse has played the easiest ACC schedule to date, which is not surprising considering how tough the schedule is on the stretch. NC State has played a much harder schedule. Uh, yeah, so that's my breakdown there. It's Wednesday, Wednesday night. Since it's the ACC, it's probably not on national network, but I'll check. Um, if they, have a, they have a kind of they're gonna, the ACC, ACC network will come soon, like the actual ACC network where you get a channel. But until that happens, you have to like kind of look around for where those games are going to be. It might be on your game plan, on your cable. It might be on ESPN3. It might not be on either, depending on where you live and what you have in your cable system. This game is an 8 p.m. game on the ACC network at PNC Arena in Raleigh. Yeah, it's the best game of the night on uh, Wednesday, surprisingly. Um, out, yeah. Outstripping Clemson-Miami by uh, 0.5 thrill score points. Yeah, that's that's the Ken Palm throw score. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess we can pick that game now. Um, 
I'm going to pick uh, NC State to win that game. I don't think Syracuse is particularly good. Their favorite, NC State's favorite by four. Uh, Syracuse, I think, will be found out by this schedule. They'll, they'll get some wins because of that zone, but I don't think this will be one of them. And I think NC State will really hurt them on the offensive glass, which the zone tends to give up a lot of offensive rebounds in general, and NC State's great on the offensive glass. Yeah, I like NC State, too, for pretty much the exact same reasons you said. So, good job. Yeah. Well, guys, let's close it out with the rest of our picks. Um, we do have a very good Big Monday this week. The first Big Monday game is Virginia, a one-point favorite at North Carolina, and then TCU, a one-point favorite at home against Kansas. So basically a couple of pick-ems here. Um, I, I will say one thing about last week's picks. I'm kind of bummed. I picked Marquette over Villanova, and Marquette won, but they were two-point favorites, so I got burned on that. Tom, despite picking Villanova, who did not win the game, got the win. I know that's how betting works, but I just want to say I had a good week, and it could have been a little even better if Marquette had won by more than one point. Anyway. Yeah, no, totally fair. Who do you like, Virginia, and North Carolina, and TCU, Kansas? And if you have any comment on my uh, my gripe there, you can make a comment. I mean, I feel bad for you. I'm sure you probably won some games. Is there any other game you've won that you should have lost? And by your theory, go back. Have you gone back and checked that? No, it, it happens. It's a bad beat, as they say. Uh, for these games, I, I like North Carolina. They were in trouble. This game played was while we were at the Garden, so I didn't get to watch most of it. Kobe White at 33, and Carolina's come from behind win in overtime against Miami. You thought they might be looking at it to this Virginia game. Uh, though I know you sent me, a, about a month ago, you sent me a tweet looking at all quote-unquote trap games, and those it's basically not a thing. So good for, um, so maybe that's not a theory at all. Uh, but Carolina, I like this game at home against Virginia, who could be real, and Carolina's looked really sharp of late. And I like TCU at home to Kansas. Kansas has been awful on the road this year in the Big 12. They've lost to West Virginia. They've lost to Kansas State. They've lost, And they almost blew a huge lead to Baylor. That's their only road win in conference. I think they're banged up. And as I said, we don't know if Garrett's playing. We don't know if Vic's playing. Um, and they have run out of good players. So um, give me TCU giving a one at home to Kansas. Yeah, I'm going to take Virginia. Um, Virginia has a pretty good track record against North Carolina of late. The games are not usually close. If you look at last year, they played um, they played at Virginia. Virginia won by 12, and then they played in the, tur- in the ACC tournament. Virginia won by eight. The previous year, um, they usually play kind of ugly games too. The previous year, North Carolina lost, beat Virginia at North Carolina by 24, 65-41, and North Carolina lost at Virginia, 53-43. So this could be. Like you feel like, oh, Congress and Styles, maybe they'll get up and down the floor North Carolina will. Usually it tends to be a low-scoring game. It tends to be not very close. I'm going to take Virginia to win. Um, you know, I'm taking uh, TCU also. TCU is playing a, is a good offensive team against Kansas. We struggle a little bit on defense, and Kansas is shorthanded probably. Uh, I think TCU wins at home. Tuesday's games, we have three of them. Um, Maryland at home against Purdue, favored by one. Wisconsin coming off the loss at Michigan. Now is at home against Michigan State, favored by one. And Duke, coming off its big win, goes to Louisville and is favored by six. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin, Ethan Happ starting to... He's still playing great, but he's starting to feel the pressure of carrying this Wisconsin team on offense. Uh, Struggle a little bit of late with some games below. Uh, I didn't look great in the Michigan game on Saturday. Um, so I'm going to take, in that game, I'm going to take Michigan State. Um... There, Maryland-Purdue, I really like Purdue. They've been playing pretty well, um, and they have some good wins recently, including that game against um, Michigan State a couple weeks ago, and they are, uh, they're on the rise in this conference. Uh, what are the other games? Uh, oh, Duke, uh, Louisville, give me Duke on the road. Duke is just, they're playing a really tough schedule, and they're 
they're e e uh, equal to the test so far. I'm going to agree on two of the three. I'm, I'm also going to take Michigan State on the road against Wisconsin. Um, seems unwise for both of us to take them, but uh, <laughs> I do think that uh, Wisconsin, Michigan State has the bigs to compete. Um, Xavier Tillman's a really good defender inside. He can match up with Ethan Happ. Nick Ward might get in foul trouble, but they have other options there. Um, and I do think Cassius Winston will be able to get good shots. Um, and Michigan State's played them enough where I feel like Wisconsin won't get a lot of open threes, which open threes at Ethan Happ is pretty much... Uh, how they score, um, and Ethan Happ means not just Ethan Happ scoring, but finding guys on looks um, and cuts. I'm going to take Maryland over Purdue. Um, Maryland has bounced back a little bit after um, a rough stretch um, when they had started uh, to play quite well and then fell off a little bit in mid-January. Um, they lost a tough game at Wisconsin, but they sandwiched around those were a dominant performance at home against Northwestern as well as a dominant performance at Nebraska. Of course, those teams are both struggling, granted, and Purdue has been red hot. Um, but I'm going to take Maryland at home to, uh, to find a way to win uh, that one. And I'm also taking Duke to uh, handle Louisville pretty well. Louisville's good. They went on the road and probably should have beaten Florida State, but ended up losing in overtime. Um, and they also lost uh, last week to uh, North Carolina State. At home, you know, this is a talent matchup, and Duke, I think, it's just a lot more talent. Um, okay, well, the 15th is Friday, and the best game Friday is Buffalo uh, against Toledo, and that's Buffalo favored by one at Toledo. We don't talk about the Mid-American Conference much, but you probably know about Buffalo from the fact that they beat Arizona in the NCAA tournament last year, and they also had wins over uh, um, Syracuse earlier this season. They won Western Union, Western Union in overtime as well. Toledo, uh, Buffalo is 20-3 and three overall, 8-2 and two in conference. Um, Toledo um, is 20-4 and four overall and 8-3 and three in conference. Um, the Rockets uh, don't have a, a, top, a tough win all year, um, but they did. Uh, they do have in-conference wins against Miami, Ohio, Northern Illinois. Okay. Any thoughts on this one? Uh, C.J. Massenburg, I don't think he's getting enough credit. for. Uh, he's going to be one of those players that people watch in the NCAA tournament. If you look at his... Um, o ratings there in the mid hundreds, pretty much every single game he plays. Buffalo is actually, you could argue, after the start they had, they've had a disappointing uh, run in the Mid American Conference. They've lost to Northern Illinois uh, on the road by two, and they lost to Bowling Green, giving up 92 points on the road uh, back on Friday the first. Um, so it's a little disappointing after they started the season 17 and one, had some big wins against Syracuse. Uh, they lost to Marquette. They beat San Francisco, which is obviously a good win. Um, they beat Toledo the first time by 30 at home, so I like Buffalo in this matchup. Um, C.J. Massenburg, I just want to get the numbers on him, where'd they go. Um, he has played his last several games. His O ratings are on Ken Palm. 120, 148, 128, 129, 120, 159, 102, 110, 146, 120, 148. You have to go all the way back to December 8th against St. Bonaventure's before he had an O rating below 100. So that's pretty crazy. He's been awesome. So give me Buffalo. I'm taking Toledo. There it is. Okay, I'm saying it. There you go. Uh, one thing I want to point out about Toledo is Todd Kowalczyk, their coach. He's been there since 2010-2011. Um, and prior to that, he was at Green Bay for many years, for um, for eight years. So eight years at Green Bay, and this is ninth year at Toledo. Prior to this season, the best defense he had had in any season was 136 in the country. That's the second year at Green Bay. And the best defense he had had at Toledo was 170th in the country, and that was in 2015-2016. And I remember early in the year when I was looking at Toledo thinking, can they keep this defense up? Well, they're still 54th in the country in defense, even this deep in the season. They're only 5th in the MAC, but um, but that's a, a 
vast improvement compared to any other team that Todd Kowalczyk has had. He's had good offensive teams in the past. This team is a good offensive team again. Um, but I'm going to say that they're going to beat Buffalo, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. But I'm taking them. Um, <laughs> they're one point underdogs, so I guess I'm picking them to win if I'm picking them. Um, Saturday, we have a couple games on the 16th. Kentucky is a two-point favorite at home against Tennessee. And Kansas State's a one-point favorite at home against Iowa State. What do you think? Uh, I like Kentucky in this game here. I think they're playing really well. They've been excellent at home this year. Their only losses have been away from home. Uh, they already have home wins against Mississippi State, Kansas. Um, they beat South Carolina without issue at home on Tuesday. South Carolina's been decent in the conference. Um, so I don't really see any reason why Tennessee is... I mean, Tennessee's very good, obviously. Tennessee could win this game, but I think Kentucky is playing better. They're one of the teams that's gotten clearly gotten better as the season's gone along. Um Tennessee has really not been tested, as we talked about in the SEC, compared to some other teams. So I like Kentucky at home in Rupp Arena. I think this is a tough place uh, to play. And Kansas State at Iowa State. I like Kansas State's defense, the way they've been playing. Um, again, this Big 12, any, it can go any number of different directions. I know you're about to uh, pick against me there. But uh, Kansas State um, at home against Iowa State. Give me the defense of Bruce Weber. The, uh, the, the Wildcat wild run continues on Saturday. Okay, thanks. That sounds like a, something Jim Nance would say. That's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, should can maybe. That. Um, so I'm going to take Kentucky over K- Tennessee. I'm, I'm, I've am I'm been high in Kentucky most of the year, and I'm going to stay high in Kentucky. Um, I think defensively they're going to give Tennessee some problems. And then, I mean, it's just at home, you know. If Tennessee's going to lose a game, just like yesterday with Villanova-Marquette, it's like Villanova, are they going to go undefeated in conference? If they're not going to go undefeated, they're probably going to lose at Marquette. And the same thing with Tennessee. If they're not going to go undefeated in the SEC, they're probably going to lose at Kentucky. So I'll take Kentucky. I'm going to take Iowa State over Kansas State. Um, I, I, there's no really reason for it. I think Kansas State won at Iowa State already. I'm taking Iowa State to win at Kansas State. The, the Big 12, much like the Big East, only had a much better quality <laughs> has been really hard to figure this year and obviously separation in the Big East the top whereas in the in the Big 12 is pretty much a very solid and balanced over overall um, over all the spots and then Villanova St. John's I'm gonna take Villanova uh, this game against St. John's early in the season in Villanova was a close game that St. John's could have won but didn't but I just think the, the coaching advantage and the shooting advantage will be with Villanova that they should bounce back um, I will note that we didn't talk about uh, we're not I've been picking the Providence games after they won against St. John's we want to keep that streak going. But Providence plays at Villanova on Wednesday. Um, obviously it will be a tough game after Villanova will be a little salty coming off the loss to Marquette. And then they also will be my second straight Saturday I'll be at a Providence game. They'll be playing Xavier in Providence. I'll be in my home region for that one. Uh, a game the Friars should win are favored by five in um, and that will be uh, I don't know there's nothing more to say about that but that's uh that's what Promise is doing this week. Um, anyway, those are our picks. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to try to catch up more on Tom this week. It's, I have a long way to go. I might have to take uh, have like our last week, pick like 80 games, so I have a shot. But, uh, <laughs> we'll do that offline. Uh, that's where we – yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, we're, we're going to have a special podcast where we just go through every single game in the last week of the season before the conference tournaments and pick them, and, and then we're not going to get anyone to listen ever again. Shout out to Steph, by the way, a former co-worker of mine, current co-worker of Tom, a, a loyal listener. I don't, we'll see how loyal she got to a one hour and 20 minutes of the podcast, oh, well. but uh, yeah, yeah she's, she better be. She's definitely gone into the, the end of some of our longer podcasts, and I saw, I got from another co-worker, I got... An hour. I got a scoff at the fact that we went an hour thirty on our last podcast. So we're coming in a nice hour twenty today. So that's nice. Everyone's mm-hmm. happy. 
uh, we're making improvements. It's all about incremental improvements to the uh, to the product, and that's where mm-hmm. we are right now. So yeah. So but yeah, thank you, Steph, for listening to the bitter end. Yeah, she's a proud Villanova fan. Um, I saw a photo of her daughter wearing. Uh, it might be a Javon Quinley jersey. Probably not. It's probably a Jalen Brunson jersey. It could be a Scotty Reynolds jersey. It's number one. Um, I wanted to imagine her being a big fan of Eric Pascal, though. I just think it's funny to think of a one-year-old kid, or not even one being like really into eric pascal and like he's just like he has kind of like a baby kind of physique like it's not like a big baby he's like very rugged obviously but it's kind of like round edges it's not very like rigid sharp physique and so i can imagine him like bouncing off of people and hitting shots and and like a a little girl really enjoying that so that's my my imagination that's what i think okay good let's cut cut your imagination there so i don't go to 130 again and get another scoff okay yeah so um we will be scoff-free, and then next week will be scoff laws, maybe. Um, but until that uh, happens, follow us at, at DoubleBonusPod, uh, DoubleBonusPod at gmail.com, DoubleBonusPod.com, and follow, rate, review, subscribe, five-star ratings, or better, if you can find a better rating, then five stars will take it. <laughs> Good luck. Um, at uh, Google Play Music, Spotify, uh, iTunes, Apple Music. Uh, if there's a platform you want us to be on that we're not, reach out to us, DoubleBonusPod at gmail.com. And until that day comes, uh, I'll see you, Tom. See you, brother. See ya. That noise. That's the noise. What? That infernal rattling sound that has plagued me these past two days and I could not find the source. In the libraries, in the hallway, even in the men's room. Shame on you, Elaine. No, no, Mr. Peterman, it wasn't me. That reminds me of the Haitian voodoo rattle torture. You haven't gone over to their side, have you? No, because if I hear one more rap, just one, you're out on your can. And if you are undead, we'll find out about that too. <laughs>